Home is like a little church by Lindsay Blair and Bobby Gills. My family goes to Sunday church. We see the pastor there. He teaches us the word of God and leads us all in prayer. We pray and praise God at our house. He makes our family glad. Our home is like a little church. The pastor is my dad. At church, the pastor reads to us, the Bible in his hands. We learn about God's love for us and all of his commands. My daddy reads the Bible too. I listen to obey. I'm learning how to walk with God and follow in his ways. At church, we sing and clap for God who made the earth and sky. He made us too and loves us most. He cares each time we cry. At home, we sing our Bible songs to God for all he's done and how he showed his love for us through Christ, his only son. At church, the pastor teaches us that Christ died for our sin and then he rose to life again. Now we can trust in him. At home, my daddy says to me each time I disobey, that's why we all need Jesus' love to take our sins away. At church, we bow our heads and pray. The pastor says God hears. We talk to God and tell him all our secrets and our fears. Before we eat or go to bed or when I'm sad and scared, my mom and dad say, let us pray for God is always there. I love my pastor and our church. We are a family there. I love the stories and the songs and joining friends in prayer. I love my pastor daddy too. He's with me all the way. He helps me walk by Jesus' side to love him every day. All right, so yeah, nothing like a little uh, old-fashioned story time to uh, start off our message together. Uh, if you're newer with us, my name is Brian, and uh, one of the pastors here, and uh, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles for another story in Psalm 78 uh, that we'll be looking at momentarily. And uh, if I can just circle back to that book uh, that you just heard um, and saw on the screen there, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a book I came across a few years ago that I, I would just encourage you, don't let the, uh, the cute illustrations or the rhyming words let you miss the power uh, and, and the message of that story. And that really, yeah, you could call it a children's book, but really it's a message for parents and really for all of us as adults regarding the next generation and raising them up in faith. And so uh, this is kind of really a setup for our next couple of weeks together. And so I'm just going to read again the first two pages from that book that we understand, yes, my family goes to Sunday church and we see the pastor there. He teaches us the word of God and leads us all in prayer. So we understand that kind of like our, our church is a church, but it's also a home. Our church is a home. But on the flip side, we pray and praise God also in our home. We, he makes our family glad. Our home is like a little church, and the pastor is my dad. And, um, and so that's, that's just flipping the saying, okay, yeah, so also our home is a church as much as our church is a home. And so, yeah, my pastor, the, the people leading me in my house might be, it might be a dad, it might be a, a mom and a dad, it might be a, a single mom or a single dad. And, and again, this applies to us all. If you're an empty nester, uh, even if you're a person who's never been a parent, if you're a single person, a widow or a widower, or a student or a senior saint, that all of us want to ensure that in our homes, whatever that context, wherever the roof lands over our head, uh, that it would be like a little church, a, a place that reflects uh, worship 
and the following of God. And so that's what we're going to look at these next couple of weeks. We're, we have a, a two-part series where we're going to see how, yes, uh, your home is a church and your church is a home. That's what we're going to discover, this interconnected family language that's all throughout Scripture and understanding how the two are very closely tied together. And so today, specifically, we're going to look at the first part of that equation is how each and every one of our homes is actually to be like uh, a little church, a reflection of what this place uh, is all about on a Sunday morning, all right? And so to help us understand that, we are going to look to the book of Psalms, Psalm 78. And Psalm 78, uh, or I should say all the Psalms really are, uh, you could say that the purpose of these writings in the Bible are worship songs, essentially. They, are, they were the worship songs, the hymnals, if you would, uh, of the people in Bible times. And really, even the songs that we sing today, many of the lyrics that we sang come from the Psalms, that they were the understanding to be how we worshiped and gave credit to God for who he is. And so the Psalm that we're going to look at this morning, Psalm 78 specifically, um, is in a literary genre. And, and every Psalm had a specific literary genre with a specific purpose then in mind within that umbrella of worship. And the one that we're going to look at today is classified as a historical psalm, but also a wisdom psalm. And that it's a historical psalm and that's going to cover about 500 years of history uh, throughout the uh, Old Testament of God's people from around 1500 BC to about 1000 BC where you've got uh, God's people who are being freed from slavery in Egypt. They're led through the promised land, and, or excuse me, led through the wilderness into the promised land up into the point of where King David uh, becomes um, their earthly king. And so we're going to look at that 500 year history. But the purpose of that It's not that we just get a mere history lesson about God's people in the Bible. No, the purpose of this psalm, of this historical psalm, is that we would gain understanding and then apply that understanding to wisdom. That we would apply godly wisdom in the living of our lives and in the living out in our own homes. Yes, for those inside that home, but as this psalm's going to lay out, so that generations and homes to come would also know the wisdom that comes from this psalm. Okay, so that's what we're going to gain. We're going to get some some history, but we're also going to get some wisdom out of it. So I'd encourage you to follow along with me in Psalm 78, starting in verse 1. And we're going to jump around quite a bit. And so after that, you know, you can cheat and use the screens or you can try to keep up. You might get a paper cut, but it's uh, 72 verses of Psalm 78 that we're going to bounce around. All right, so starting in verse 1, Psalm 78. Here's our history and more importantly, our wisdom for today. It says, my people, hear my teaching And listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. And a parable essentially is a story, but in this case, it's a true story. All right? So I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter things, things from old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. And here comes the wisdom. Here's the applied knowledge here. It says, here's what we need to do. We need to not hide them from our descendants. It's saying we will not hide these stories from their descendants, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. We will tell of his decreed statutes, which is just a fancy word for saying ways to live by, okay? We will teach these ways to live by for Jacob and establish the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so that the next generation would know them and then even the children yet to be born. So our children's children and then they in turn would tell their children. So saying for generation after generation after generation that they would, verse seven, put their trust in God. That's the goal, that they would, each generation would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds 
but would keep his commands. Because here's the caution, verse seven, excuse me, verse eight, that they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God and whose spirits were not faithful to him. All right, and so that verse eight, the stubborn generation is what we're gonna read about uh, throughout the rest of the psalm, that we're gonna see really the good, the bad, and the ugly of this history, this 500-year period of God's people, and that we're gonna see the good that God has done, but sadly, the bad and the ugly of, of God miss, or God's people missing and forgetting and not remembering what God has done and not following his ways, okay? And so I'm gonna summarize some of this and read some of it. And again, you can follow on the screen or try to keep up, your call. Uh, but verse 43 through 51, I'm not gonna read all that, but if you scan your eyes across that, essentially you'll see the 10 plagues that God brought on the people of Egypt in order to establish who he was and set his people free after 400 years of slavery. Um, and so he set those people free. And then verses 12 through 14, it says that he did miracles in the sight of their ancestors in the land of Egypt, in the region of Zoan. He divided the sea and he led them through. He made the water stand up like a wall. So that's the parting of the Red Sea. Then he closed it in on the Egyptians. And from there, he guided his people uh, by a cloud by day and with the light of the fire by night. And then summarizing verse 15 and 16 and 23 through 29, uh, this is, talks about how God provided for his people when they were then in the wilderness. He provided water from rocks, manna or bread from the sky, and then the male, uh, the quail, I should say, meat of quail, uh, miraculously every day, every day, day in and day out, providing for their physical needs. And then ultimately, God led them safely through the wilderness into the promised land, verse 52 through 55. It says, but he brought his people out like a flock, he led them like a sheep through the wilderness. He guided them safely, and so they were unafraid. The sea had engulfed their enemies, and so he brought them to the border of his holy land, to the hill country his right hand had taken. He drove out nations before them and allotted their lands to them as an inheritance, and he settled the tribes of Israel in their homes. Okay? And so we see this all ending back at the home where God had done good thing after good thing after good thing. It's story after story after story that really make up God's story of the goodness that he had given to his people. And so that's the good side. But then the bad and the ugly is, again, is the people forgetting and failing to intentionally remember all this good that God has done. And so intermittent throughout that story, uh, we see in verse 10 through 11, it says that God's people, sadly, they did not keep God's covenant, and they refused to live by his law. They forgot. They forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown them. Verse 17, it says they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the wilderness against the Most High. Then jumping to verse 22, for they did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. Verse 32, in spite of all this, in spite of all that God has done, they still, they kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe and one more, verse 40 through 42. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the wasteland. Again and again, they put God to the test. They vexed the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power they, on the day that he redeemed them from the oppressor. And so we see that even though God did all these great things, the sad side of the story is that they did not intentionally remember and they tragically then, as a result of not being intentional about remembering, they tragically forgot 
all the goodness that God has done. And thus, the wisdom for us then in this historical psalm is that we would, in our households, not allow this to happen. That we would recognize the good deeds, the good things God has done, yes, throughout the history of God's people, but also in the, the, the short history of our own living of our own lives. That we would bring it to a habit in our lives. That we would worship God by remembering and recalling the things that God has done. And so that's our wisdom. That's our application. That we would worship God in our household, whatever that makeup is, again, whether you live on your own or you've got a full house, that we would remember, ensuring we would never forget and will never forget the goodness of God to remember and recall the things he has done. And so as we aim to put that into practice in our own households, it's important to recognize, okay, how do we remember? How do we functionally recall the good things that God has done so that we don't forget? Well, interesting, in Bible times, the way this would have been played out, well, I guess it would be helpful to realize that we must recognize that the times of the Bible people would have been, when it comes to the literacy rate, would have been about the opposite of what we understand it today, where in our society, the majority of people are literate and you would understand that you would remember and recall by you know, reading God's word, or maybe it's like a private act, like we think about communion, we kind of sit there with our, our little cracker and our little cup and we remember, we recall, we quietly and privately reflect on all that Jesus has done. And that's appropriate. But understand that within the context of, again, God's people of the Old Testament, they would not largely been able to read. And even those who could read would not have access to lots of documents in which they could read. I mean, we're still 2,500 years away from the invention of the printing press. And so the way that the remembering and the recalling would have happened among God's people would have been through reciting. They would have been saying out loud that to remember or to recall would have been synonymous with to recite God's word. They would be saying this out loud like we're doing here in this setting. They would remember, they would recall all that God did by reciting, sharing, proclaiming, and specifically their households, the next generation. Verse 7, the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. And so it's kind of cool, like within our church home, we, we did this over the last couple of weeks. You might recall if you're with us for the series Enter In, uh, Pastor Wayne had you all text in uh, how you could recall what you had remembered the goodness of God in your life. And so here's a few examples of some of those things you texted in. And so as those are coming through in each service live, he was, he was sharing that. He was sharing that, telling that, reciting that before us, the things that God has done as we remember what he has done. So that's, that's appropriate. We do that in the context of, you know, our church home, our, our worship setting. Even in communion, we'll proclaim, you know, that even though we privately do our little bread and our little cup, it's, you know, we say it is the body of Christ and the blood of Christ that we remember. And so we do this naturally, you could say, in church church. But I would ask the question, how then, if, if our home is supposed to be like a little church, how are we doing in our church as a little home, remembering by reciting what God has done. How are we doing bringing up the conversations and in the conversations of our days, what God has been up to, the verse seven, the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and all that he has done. And so convicted about this and thinking about this, I want to help all of us, I could say, maybe turn the dial up a, a bit on how we can raise that level of conversation in our home, that we would understand the importance of worshiping God in our homes by the act of remembering and recalling what 
the good things God has done by actually reciting that, getting these things out in conversation, okay? And so to give you just some handles on this a little bit as you go out the door today, I would say that one of the best practices that you could put into your family's life is to do this remembering, to do this reciting at a meal time, preferably maybe like a dinner time when your family gathers around for dinner. Now, I realize that that's a challenge sometimes in our day and age. You know, I'm, I'm living it. I have uh, four kids, uh, ages five to 11, and all the evening activities that go with it. And so for us, when it comes to dinner around the table, we're very fortunate. We had some wise mentors in our life that just told us at a very, with kids at a young age, hey, whatever you can do, protect that time around the table, that sacred time to be able to talk with and, and teach and instruct and figure out what's going on in your kids' lives. And and so for us, you know, that doesn't, we, we do pretty regularly have dinner around the table, but it just, the, the trick is it just doesn't happen at typical dinner time. I can't tell you the last time we had a six o'clock dinner, but I can tell you the number of 8.15 p.m. dinners we've had. Um, <laughs> And I'm not sure how healthy that is for the long run. I don't think you're supposed to eat after eight or something like that. But um, I'd rather trade that than the loss of what we have around that table. And so one of the practices we have in our family is we'll go around the table and we'll share. Okay, so, you know, hey, what was the best part of your day? And what was the most challenging part of your day? And so that's, that's kind of a neat exercise. But as I was preparing this message, I kind of had this like, duh, like, okay, that's nice. We can talk about, you know, what went well in your day, what, you know, what didn't. Those are good things and those are good conversation starters. But hey, Brian... How about, where was God at work in your day? How about remembering and recalling the good things that God has done in the day? And so we, we started bringing that into the conversation intentionally this past week. And so I would encourage you, at your dinner table, where can you bring up the conversation, where was God at work today or maybe over the past week or how is um, uh, God on the move today to borrow from a popular song lyric because I think that's one thing I've learned that we don't remember statements but we do remember song lyrics and so here's a little bit of a popular song you may have heard on Christian radio this uh, really it's, it's the understanding of what we want to have happen around our tables we want to talk about how God is on the move it's by the band um, seventh time down how God is on the move today and so here's a little bit of it I see some singing along going on. So yeah, it stays with us. And uh, it's a good song. It's, it's, a, it's a good mantra for what we want to be discussing and talking about in our homes. And it was funny, actually, um, uh, funny to me. Uh, a couple months ago, I was uh, up visiting uh, our extended family in Cleveland. And my wife and my oldest daughter, Cole, we were riding in the car with my, my crazy uncle, Tony. He's, he's, you know, everyone's got a crazy uncle. This is the crazy uncle. So our crazy uncle, Tony, he's, uh, we're driving. And this song comes on the radio. And so he knows the song. He, he cranks it up. The windows are down. There's people on the other side. It's kind of weird. But again, crazy Uncle Tony. And so he's got, you know, one knee on the steering wheel, no hands on the steering wheel. And he's shouting as loud as he can, making my daughter very nervous because there's no hands on the steering wheel. God is on the roof, on the roof. Hallelujah. God is on the roof. In my... And we're like, what? God... <laughs> Uncle Tony, two problems. First, no one raises the roof anymore. <laughs> Secondly, it's God is on the, is, he had, we, we had to point out his bad case of, have you ever experienced people with this chronic lyricosis? 
know what chronic lyricosis is? Chronic lyricosis is being, it's an illness, it is. It's it's being completely confident, 100% confident that you know the lyrics to popular songs. But sadly, completely, completely clueless that you are wrong. And uh, so we have these people in our lives who suffer from this. Um, you know, maybe you've, uh, you know, been alongside someone in a car ride where this has happened. Maybe uh, just a couple symptoms to look for. Maybe if Credence Clearwater song, there's a bathroom on the right comes on. <laughs> you, you, you know you, you're, you're, you're in trouble because the lyrics are not, you know, the bathroom's on the right, right? No, wrong. It's there's a bad moon on the rise. That's not right, okay? Or how about this one? I've got two chickens to paralyze. Won't you pack your bags of leaves tonight? I've got... No. It's uh, two tickets to paradise. And won't you pack your bags, we'll leave tonight? Or there's always a slow walking Walter, the fire engine guy. Uh, that would be the first song everyone learned how to play on every instrument. Smoke on the Water, A Fire in the Sky by Deep Purple. And one more, my personal favorite, and then I'll stop singing, I promise. Hold me closer, Tony Danza. <laughs> now, I love a classic 1980s episode of Who's the Boss just as much as the next guy. Everyone under 30 is like, who's the what? Who's the boss? It's uh, by Elton John, and it's actually Hold Me Closer, Tiny Dancer. Tiny Dancer, okay. But it does kind of sound like Tony Danza when you listen to it. All right. So yeah, chronic lyricosis. It's a sad, sad illness. It strikes victims without warning, and it takes a terrible toll on friends and family who are stuck sharing automobile space with those infected. And so we all have these people in our lives. You might be that person in your life. Uh, And so let me give you just a quick... I'll say a two-for-one application deal on the most random illustration in all of sermon history. I'll admit that. Uh, But the first application to this random illustration is that in our lives, when it comes to the the lyrics, if you will, we want to make sure that what we're talking about, we want to get the lyrics right. We want to get the content of our conversations right. We want to make sure that we're focusing our conversations on the things that matter most. And particularly for those of you who are parents or with kids in the house, you know how important this is. You know how important it is to prioritize intentional conversations with your kids about school and activities and friends and kind of see the influences and the kind of choices they're make, making. And, and this is all good and important, um, but don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. But I will say this. In the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, Even the pagans know this. And so what credit is that to you? And so Jesus used these words when he was talking about, okay, yeah, you love people who love you. Even even the pagans do that. Even those who wouldn't, you know, follow me do that. You know, really, what credit is that to you? Instead, and so Jesus turns up the dial and he says, you you need to love not just those who love you, but your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so kind of in the same vein, yes, we need to definitely we have to be intentional in our conversations in order to be intentional about our relationships with our kids. Uh, there was a study done recently where they, they wired um, recording devices to dads uh, that they were to you know, start, uh, you know, go live as they came home from work in the evening and keep on through the hours of the evening till bedtime. And they were doing it to quantify uh, the amount of intentional conversation that dads were having with their kids. And what they discovered was on the average, A dad has 30 seconds of intentional conversation with their kid 
a day. And I was like, wow, that's 30 seconds on the app. That's it? And at first, I'm kind of like, man, those dads, those must be. But then I started seeing that lens through my evening thinking, oh my goodness, it's incredible how easily any of us can let that happen, me included. I mean, you get home, it's the, you know, this thing after the other, it's you know, one activity after the other, before you know it, you're dumping them in bed just to be free for a little bit while, and it's over. It goes by that quick. And so, yes, we need to be intentional. We need to take more than 30 seconds. We need to take some intentional time to have intentional conversations in order to have intentional relationships with our children. But let me say again, in the words of Jesus, even the pagans, you know, even those who wouldn't say Jesus Christ is the Lord and the leader of, of their lives, the Lord and the leader of their households, uh, they would too be able to point to, yes, everyone should know the importance of having intentional conversations in order to have intentional relationships with their children. But for us, if, you know, if we say that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our, our lives, if we would say, you know, as in the words of Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If, you know, God is my number one priority. I mean, we use that language, you know, then it's this, this, and this, but number one is God. You know, if we say that, you know, God is our number one priority, we want our church uh, home or our home to be like a little church, well, then we have to give attention to how then are we constantly and consistently intentionally weaving the Lord our God into the fabric of our conversations in our homes. If we say that God is number one, yes, we know that we need to take some intentional time, but again, everybody kind of knows that. What are we doing to turn up the dial to be intentional with those conversations to weave in to the fabric of that, the Lord our God, his praiseworthy deeds, the good things he has done. Another way of looking at it is, I would say, how are you Deuteronomy 6-ing in your house? Deuteronomy 6 is a passage that's often used when talking about raising up the next generation uh, to love and serve the Lord. Uh, it's one we use a lot around here. And frankly, it's, uh, it's kind of, you could say, the John 3.16. If there were like football games back in the Old Testament, they would have been holding up Deuteronomy 6. This was like the most well-known passage in all of God's people. And, and here's why. Number one, it says this. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, and it's just like we sang earlier, king forever. He's the only one, he's the only God. And thus, here's our application then. Love this one Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Jesus would come back later and say, yep, that's the number one command. And so then Moses, who's giving us this, uh, Moses says, these commands that I give you today, they're to be on your hearts. And so he says, now impress them, imprint them on your children imprint them on your children. And how do you do that? You gotta talk about it. You gotta recite what God has done. You've gotta talk about them when you're sitting at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Essentially, he's saying all the time. We've got, if we want this handoff, the baton from one generation to the next, the most important thing, arguably, that we're on the planet to do, then we have to be intentional in talking about these things reciting these things in our homes. Moses goes on to say, he said, this is the difference, if you do this or not, the difference between a blessing and curse. It's the difference between life and death. This is not just information. This is about the transformation of the next generation that they would know and follow the Lord our God by remembering the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord in the living of their lives. That's what it says, that would put their trust in God, verse uh, seven of Psalm 78, that they would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. And so we have to do this. 
We have to do this as parents. But also, I would say, if you're not a parent with a kid in the home right now, this is, this is, again, this is where our home is a church and our church is a home and that this is the responsibility of all of us. And so I would say, how are you in your life? Where is there someone under you that you are passing this on to, whether it's a niece or a nephew or a grandchild, maybe as a coach to a kid, maybe as a, to a neighbor kid uh, or volunteering here in the life of our church in our family ministry or Club 305 program where somewhere you are living out this Deuteronomy 6, that you are passing on the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord so that the next generation would not forget and would obey his commands. And so in our homes, it's got to start with answering and discussing the question, how is God on the move? How is God on the move today? We want to talk about this again. Any chance we get when you're sitting around, walking around, driving around, lying down, and when you get up. And I would say uh, one of the best times to do that again would be around that dinner table. Where has God been on the move today? Okay? And so you're going to do that most obviously with kids, but I would say again, no kids, spouses. How are you having this conversation? If you're single or if you live alone, know that yes, you can do that privately in your, in your own private worship in your home because your home is still a church, but all the more important to recognize that your church is a home too. And so how are you building community and relationships with other people growing together, building relationships with other people in your church home that are building your ultimate relationship with the Lord as we recite and share the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord our God that we might obey his commands, uh, both in this generation and in generations to come, okay? So we've got to have this conversation. How are we talking? about in the fabric of our life, how God is on the move. So that's our first takeaway from the weird illustration of my Uncle Tony driving with a knee. But the second takeaway, would, I would say this, that if you're going to, when it comes to this idea of God being on the move, if you're going to, you could say, you know, weird Al Yankovic it a little bit, get the words wrong. Once again, everyone in their 30s is like, weird Al Yankovic, what the are you talking about? Okay, no, weird Al, so it's basically if you're gonna change the lyrics to the song that God is on the move, then I would argue that God is on the roof, actually not such a bad mess up. I could see how you could think that that could be a reasonable lyric because essentially the only way in which we're gonna be able to have conversations around the table about how God was on the move today is if we are throughout the day having our eyes open and our antenna up to how you could say, you know, figuratively, how God was on the roof of wherever it is we were today, how he was a covering over us. How is God covering our day? How is God on the roof of our places of work, the plant, the office? How is God on the roof at your school or on the gym? How is God on the roof of the combine or the car or the plant? Wherever the case may be, how is God covering over every part of your day today? And so by having that perspective, then we're able to have the conversation of how then was God on the move today, all right? So that we can, verse seven of Psalm 78, tell the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done, okay? And lastly, yes, God is on the move today and we're able to talk about that when we recognize how God was on the roof today and just know this, that for every single one of us, as you go with this message in mind, know that you are, you are, you are able to do this. You are able to do this. If this kind of freaks you out a little bit, it's like, man, this could put me out of my comfort zone. You know, I think just saying like the, you know, the staple prayer at the mealtime is a pretty big stretch for, you know, us in some ways. And this is really gonna push us to really start talking about this stuff. Good, good. This is, this because it's in the comfort zone, or I should say in the discomfort zone that we actually know that we're moving into things that matter most. And so know that you are able to do this, and here's why. 
because God has called you to do this. And because he has called you to do this, he has equipped you to do this. All right, and I'm not just making this up. This comes from the last three verses of our Psalm, Psalm 72 today. And I would say really the reason I chose this Psalm for our topic today was these last three verses. That out of the whole Psalm that talks about the history and the wisdom that we can apply by remembering God, by reciting all that he's done, it's these last three verses that reminds me that each and every one of us are able, empowered, and called to do this. So look with me real quick, or you can follow on the screen. The last three verses of the 72 verses of Psalm 78, it says this, that God, he chose David. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens, from the tending of the sheep, and he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel as inheritance. And David, he shepherded them with integrity of heart and skillful hands, he led them. Okay, so the reason I love these last three verses is because it just points out that David, everyday guy, blue collar guy, taking care of sheep as a shepherd, just everyday work, one day after the other, God takes him from shepherding the sheep of a sheep pen and leads him to be, equips him to be, calls him to be, enables him to be the shepherd over all of Israel, all of God's people, of God's entire household. Everyday, ordinary David to becoming the shepherd over all of Israel. And it's the encouragement, the reminder that that's how God, that's just one of dozens and hundreds of examples of God taking the person who thinks they're the least likely to be able to lead in a certain context and making them the leader. And so if you feel like, man, I don't know if this is me in my setting, then you're in the perfect place for God to use you most and to be confident that you are able to do this because he has called you to do this and thus he will not call you to something he does not equip you to do and thus he has and will equip you to lead your setting, your household, your children with integrity of heart, and with skillful hands, you will lead them. And so moms and dads, husbands and wives, college students, singles, widows, widowers, know this. It is the Holy Spirit's power within us, not our own strength, that we see God is on the roof throughout our day so we can discuss how God is on the move because we are able, called, and equipped to do this with integrity of heart and with skillful hands by his power. And so to that end, let me pray for us all in this. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that everything that we've just looked at has really ultimately nothing to do with our strength and power, but everything to do with yours. And so we are thankful for the ways in which you are on the roof or in the sky, wherever, whatever's covering us in that day, it's you that's covering us throughout the day, that we might be able to share and recite um, all that you've been on the move at throughout the day. And so God, you're enabling us, you're equipping us, you've called us. And so would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, even though we were done with the sermon, we know that the sermon is lived out each and every day in the reciting and the telling of your praiseworthy deeds. And so Father, would you lead each of us as to how it is we're gonna functionally play this out, whether it's around a dinner table, on a drive to school, uh, around a date night once a week with a spouse, whatever our setting is, God, would you just prompt us and lead us right now to, to make that commitment? How are we going to rally around the praise the deeds you have done through conversations in our homes and in community where you've called us to. Father, we need your strength and your power in the midst of all the busyness to help make that happen. And so that's why we pray in the name of Jesus. May it be. Amen.